So Ephesians, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14, and this is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, And in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. These are the words of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and... uh, God, we just ask that you would be here in this place as we study your word. Father, we ask that you would uh, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the things that you would like for us to see in your word and the things that you would like for us to hear uh, from your lips, Father. Uh, I'm reminded of what our Lord said about the scriptures. He said that these are the mouth of God. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see the scriptures that way, that we would see them as the mouth of God speaking to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, convict us of our sins. Lord, I pray that you would convince us of our need for the gospel. And we ask that you would do all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I don't know if you guys have seen this show before, but Lindsay and I really like the show Fixer Upper. How many of you guys have watched this show? Uh, Okay. Okay. All of the girls have seen it pretty much. (laughs) Quite a few of them. Uh, So Lindsay and I really like watching this show. And for those of you who haven't seen it, Fixer Upper is a show about, it's about this couple named Chip and Joanna. Um, Yeah, Chip and Joanna Gaines. And uh, we actually, uh, back in November, we went down to... um, Oh, gosh, what's the name of the city that they're in? Well, Magnolia. Went down to Magnolia. I mean, it's like a, this thing is, I mean, it's like a, an amusement park for people who like furniture and other things. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of really cool stuff there. Um, but the basic premise of the show is 
that they're this couple and they, they kind of specialize in renovating and restoring houses, right? And uh, so they, they work with people and they, they basically take them to these houses that are kind of ugly, right? And kind of run down. And they're like, hey, you know, uh, we could do this. We could change this. We could, we could restore this element of it, right? And so they, they basically try and help people find a house that they can restore that, would actually, uh, that they would actually like to live in, right? A lot of them are pretty, you know, nasty looking at first, but... By the end of the show, when you see what they actually become, you're actually like pretty amazed. You're like, a lot of times you're like, wow, I wouldn't mind living there, right? Um, and I say that as a as a little bit of a uh, as a little bit of a, a segue into um, kind of this this new series because one of the the primary themes that runs all throughout the book of Ephesians and one of especially one of the themes that runs through this passage that we're talking about is this idea of restoration in Christ. Uh, one commentator, when he was talking about the book of Ephesians, he said that there's really kind of two areas of restoration um, that we see that happen through Christ. Uh, in the first half of the book, uh, one through three, you see Christ reconciling, you see God through Christ and through his finished work, reconciling uh, pretty much all of creation, including humanity, back to himself. So everything that was lost at the fall is, is, uh, is being brought back, is being redeemed by Jesus um, and brought back into right relationship with God through the work of Christ, okay? So that's the first three chapters. And then in the next three chapters, in four through six, you actually see uh, God through Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit, reconciling humanity to one another. So you'll actually notice that uh, the structure of this book actually fits really nicely with what we just finished talking about in the Ten Commandments. Because if you guys remember, the first three or four commandments dealt with the relationship, the right relationship with God, right? And then the rest of the commandments dealt with the relationships between the people of God and the people of God and the rest of the world, right? And so it's really interesting how the book of Ephesians even kind of is lined up that way as well. But the main theme, what, what I want you guys to take away from this message tonight, and the main theme of, of this passage is that people are restored through the work of the triune God. People are restored through the work of the triune God. And so to give you guys a little bit of context for this passage and for this book, so Ephesians is one of what is called the prison epistles, and which is basically, you know, epistle is just another word for a letter, right? So Ephesians is one of the prison letters that Paul wrote. Um, I believe it's Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are the four uh, I could be missing one, but I'm pretty sure it's those four are the four prison epistles that Paul wrote. Um, and so in the New Testament, one of the pretty much the only instance um, that we can think might fit when he would have written this would be in Acts 28. When uh, in the record that we see written in Acts 28 is the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome and uh, he's. Uh, able to write letters, and so most scholars think that Ephesians was written during that time, the, during that uh, narrative that we see written, excuse me, see uh, recorded for us in Acts 28. And what's interesting about Ephesians is 
it's not like a lot of the other New Testament letters that, like the, for instance, if you read the book of Corinthians, Paul is very clear why he's, he's writing the letter. It's because you guys are messed up and I've got to correct all these different things, all these different sins that are going on in the church, right? But Ephesians is different in that there's not really an explicit uh, issue that's mentioned. So really what Ephesians is essentially is it is a kind of a general letter in which the Apostle Paul unpacks the grand story of redemption, the grand story of how God is restoring all things through Christ. And what's actually really interesting, and I actually kind of talked about this a little bit this morning with the, the middle schoolers, is what's really interesting is you actually see, if you read through this passage, that Jesus is actually mentioned eight times in just 14 verses, eight times in 14 verses. So he is absolutely essential to the plan of the triune God to restore all things. But as we're looking at this passage, we're going to ask the question, what does this passage teach us about the work of God? Or another way of saying is, what what does this passage teach us about um, how God restores people. Well, the passage teaches us at least three things. Now, I'm saying at least because you could probably spend several weeks just in the first 14 verses that I just read to you. However, I don't, I, I don't really want us to spend three years in the book of Ephesians, right? Um, and so I, I'm pulling out some of the big themes, and I'm, and I'm uh, excited to hear what you guys pull out in your small groups as well and what you guys talk about. Um, But the three things that we're focusing on tonight is that people are restored back to God. They're restored back into a relationship with God uh, because of three things. First, they're restored back to God because they have been chosen by the Father. Second, they are restored back to God because they have been redeemed by the Son And thirdly, they are restored back to God because they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 3. So in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, So there is the first person of the Trinity mentioned there. It's not... uh, not Jesus initially that's being mentioned, it's God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And the Father is the one who has blessed us in Christ or through Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, what 3 through 14 is, is essentially an unpacking of what those spiritual blessings are, okay? So verse 4 it kind of is, it begins to tell us what that first blessing is that God has blessed you and me with if you are a Christian. Namely, the fact that you, if you are a Christian, truly trusting in God, trusting in the gospel, and having uh, devoted your life to Christ, if that is true of you, the reason that you have done that is because you were chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world. Look at verse 4. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. But not only that, look at verse 5. Verse 5, where he says, having 
he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And so this first blessing that is mentioned is the fact that we have been chosen by the Father. And this is what uh, the theologians call the doctrine of election, the doctrine of election. Sometimes people use the term predestination, um, but predestination is not technically the right term because that is actually a really broad term that encompasses everything that God has predetermined will happen throughout history, whereas election primarily focuses on God's relationship with his people whom he chose before the foundation of the world. It's actually really interesting, this word, uh, eklegomai, or eklegomai, I think is how you say it, uh, that gets translated into uh, our word chose, it means to select for one's self. Essentially, to select for one's self. Um, I think what, what I think about when I hear that is uh, Lindsay and I have this spot that we like to go to for, for date night. I was actually also telling the middle schoolers about this. Oh, oh no, I think it was at the, uh, it was at the, the missions thing. Um, and uh, so we usually, you know, if we, if we go out to eat or whatever, there's actually this really cool, like, ice cream truck that's just kind of up that way, kind of across the street from the, the Dollar Tree. Um, but you go there and they have all these really cool, it's like homemade ice cream, all these like super good flavors, right? And so when we go there, it's like we, we have a hard time picking a lot of times which one we want for ourselves, right? And so we, we look through the options and we say, this one, I want, I want this one. And, and we select that and we eat it, usually not with the intention of sharing. Um, we, we want it for ourselves, right? Um, though actually we did actually wind up sharing this last time. Um, but uh, that was because we had a big dinner. Um, <laughs> and so in a similar way, what Paul is describing is uh, part of our identity as God's children is that you are chosen. If you have faith in Christ, true and genuine faith in Christ, the reason that you have that faith is because you were chosen by God. He said, I want Carissa for myself, and he chose you before you ever existed. That is mind-boggling in and of itself, because we, we can't even fathom not existing, and then to know that God chose us, chose me, chose you, before he even created anything, is amazing. Jesus actually kind of gives this really cool picture. If you look at John 17, verse 6, he says this. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. What's really interesting about that, the word gave there, it's the Greek word didomai, and a lot of times it can actually be translated as gift. So the Father has gifted you to the Son as a sign of his love for the Son. Think about that. That is who you are. 
A lot of times we, as you know, 21st century Americans, we, f- we try and find our identity so much in you know, what we do or even in our culture, it's who you, how you express yourself, whether you know, what gender you are or what gender you want to be or you know, sexual orientation or whatever. But what God says is that your identity is not in those things. Your identity is ultimately in what he says about you. And you, if you are a Christian, you are his chosen child. That's who you are. He selected you for himself because he loves you and because he loves Christ. And he wanted to give Christ a good gift. And so for us, as we're thinking about this truth that we have been chosen by God, I have to ask, do you recognize that the only reason that you are a Christian is because God in love chose you? One of the mistakes that is made for those of us who grew up in the church is we think, well, of course, you know, of course I'm a Christian. I, uh, you know, I, I said a little prayer when I was three years old and, you know, um, and I've tried to do more good than bad. But the reality is, is if you have true faith in Jesus, the only reason that you have that faith is because you were chosen by God. It's not because of anything that you deserve or that I deserve. We have done nothing but sin. That is the only thing that we have done. And the only thing that we deserve is everlasting punishment. But God, in his amazing grace, knowing full well every sin that I would commit and every sin that you would commit, chose you and chose me to be his child before he created anything. Knowing exactly the kinds of sins that you would commit, the kinds of things that you would struggle with, the ways that we would break his heart and in spite of all that, with full knowledge of all that, he chose you to be his child. He picked you for himself. And so this doctrine, believe it or not, actually causes some people a lot of anxiety because they, they, they say, well, if God chose me and I didn't, I didn't necessarily choose him first, like, how do I know if I'm chosen? Well, I'm going to give you a couple, couple things, a couple questions that you should ask yourself. First, do you acknowledge your own sinfulness and hold on to Jesus as your only hope to be forgiven by God? Do you acknowledge your own sinfulness and hold on to Jesus as your only hope to be forgiven by God? If that is true, that is a mark of someone who is genuinely saved. If you are trusting in your own works in some way, that is not what saves you. The only hope that we have in life and death is Jesus Christ. And the second, the second question that you should ask yourself if you're wondering, am I chosen by God? So not only are you placing all of your hope in Jesus, But do you see the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in your life? If you look with me at 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter chapter 1, let's see here, 
verse 5. For this very reason, 2 Peter verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Or another way of saying that is you will never fall away from the living God because you were chosen by the living God and kept by the living God. And so... What Peter is teaching his audience there is we were not there when God uh, chose before the foundation of the world. But what we can look at in, in our own life and what we can help each other look at in our lives is, is there fruit in our lives? Are we trusting wholeheartedly in Jesus? Those are the questions that we should be asking ourselves. Because ultimately, Restoration is the result of the Father's election. It's the fact that we have been chosen by the Father that we are restored back into a right relationship with him. So that's the first thing, chosen by the Father. But second is people are restored back to God because they have been redeemed by the Son. Look at verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mercy of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so, The next thing that we see here is that not only if you are a Christian, not only have you been chosen by the Father, but you have also been redeemed or purchased by the Son. And so Paul, being a good Trinitarian, uh, moves his focus from the Father now, This what the Father has done in choosing the people for Jesus, now aims his attention at Jesus and what he has done to accomplish and to purchase salvation for his people. Namely, that Jesus redeemed his people. He purchased them. That's why uh, when Jesus was on the cross, he said the phrase, tetelestai. He said, it is finished. In other words, what he did on the cross was purchase a people that the Father had chosen, he purchased them, and uh, the Holy Spirit, which we're going to get into, uh, gathers those people back to God. But redemption, this word, this idea of redemption, it's the Greek word apolytrosis, and what it actually means is it means to deliver or to set free. That's the idea. It means to deliver or to set free. If you look at verse 7, it teaches us that there is a payment that was necessary to secure our release. If 
you look at verse 7, it says, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so if there is this setting free that is necessary, it, that seems to indicate that there's some sort of slavery, right? There's some sort of bondage. There's some sort of problem in which you and I are not free in and of ourselves apart from the work of God. So what is, what is this thing that enslaves? Well, look at chapter 2, verse verses one through three, and he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so what this, uh, Paul elaborates a little bit more in chapter two on what the nature of this, this slavery is, this thing that, uh, that we needed to be rescued from, which was ultimately the sinful corruption of our own minds and hearts. The prophet Jeremiah speaks about the sinfulness that resides in our hearts, and he says that the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, he talks about how the mind that is set on the flesh, or that is another way of uh, thinking about that, is the mind that is enslaved to the sinful nature, hates God. Now that hate can look differently. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, like a conscious Oh, I hate God, right? It can be, it can also be just be indifference. It's like, you're not really, uh, you don't care one way or the other. That is still a hatred towards God. And so what Jesus does, one of the things that he purchases for his people is a new heart. What Jesus, one of the things that Jesus purchases for us is the gift of being born again, the gift of the work of the Holy Spirit in our, in our minds and in our hearts, causing us to believe. Uh, Peter actually goes into a description of this gift in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is chapter 1, verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so what Jesus purchased for us is a new heart. Jesus ensures that we as his people are no longer enslaved to the desires of the old heart. Now in practicality, it doesn't always feel that way. It seems like we are still enslaved, but what the Bible teaches us is that we as Christians, we we who have trusted in Jesus, need to begin to cultivate a new mindset, a new mindset that recognizes that because we are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, we have been set free from the the old desires, the sinful desires that we still grapple with at times, right? You see, what 
the, uh, the atonement of Christ, what his sacrifice does is it sets us free from the power of sin, but it does not remove the presence of sin yet. Sin will be removed when Christ returns, but we live now in this world of the, the already, but the not yet. And so sin still dwells in our, in our heart and in our minds, and we, we can be tempted by that sin nature. But what we have to recognize is that we, who are children of God and have been redeemed by Christ, is that we also have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to have victory over those sinful desires. Does that make sense? When I think about this idea of, of being set free, of being liberated, I was uh, thinking about uh, that movie Toy Story and uh, the claw machine where uh, <laughs> it comes down and grabs the little, uh, little alien dude. <laughs> you have saved us. We are eternally grateful, right? That's us as people who uh, have been purchased by Jesus. Jesus, is, <laughs> he rescues us from this, this uh, prison cell of our own sin. And we say, uh, you have saved me. I am eternally grateful. And so in a similar way, Christ has paid the price to set his people free from the control of sin in our hearts. But there are a couple things that we need to remember as we think about uh, this wonderful truth. The first is that we have to admit that we are sinners in order to be restored to God. Someone once said that the door that leads to eternal life is low, and so we must bow to enter it. The door that leads to eternal life is low, and so we must bow to enter it. And so there is a humility that is required for us as the people of God. Bless you. And we've actually been talking about that a little bit this last month in Roots, right? Talking about, uh, was it this month or was it the previous month? Yeah, yeah, this, this idea of being teachable, this idea of, of humility. And so the first thing that we have to recognize is that we, in order to be restored to God, first have to admit that we have a sin problem. We have to recognize that we need to be saved. And the second thing that we need to recognize is if that is already you, if you have already said, uh, you know, if you have already been uh, purchased by Christ and you are truly trusting in the gospel, the second thing that you need to remember uh, that we often forget is in verse 7 when it says, we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption. And what's interesting about that, the verb there, is it's in the present tense. And so what that's saying is that it's not, this redemption is not something that you get if you're good enough, right? It's not something that you get if you work hard enough. It's something that you already have as a gift of grace from God. You are already, if you are a Christian and truly trusting in Jesus, you've already been rescued from the power of sin, and you have already been brought into the family of God. 
You see, God is not waiting for you to get a little bit more holy before he will restore you back into a relationship with him. And so the second thing that we see is that we have been redeemed by the Son. So chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son. And the last one is sealed by the Spirit. Look at verse 13. And he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, verse 14, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so after talking about the work of the Father and the work of the Son, Paul, as a good Trinitarian, now focuses attention on the person of the Holy Spirit and what he does and his ministry in the lives of God's people. And Paul speaks of the fact that the believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting is that in this particular day and age, when you uh, would seal something, uh, a lot of times it would be kind of like a sign of, um, a sign of identification. Okay? So like a king, if he wanted to certify that um, a letter or a communication came from him, he would put his seal on it showing, yes, this is genuine. This is, actually, this is my letter. I sent it to you. You can take it as though it is my, my words, right? And so that's actually what this Greek word uh, conveys to these Ephesians that Paul is writing to. He's saying that you, what God does when you place your faith in Christ is he puts his Holy Spirit in you. And by placing his Holy Spirit in you, it is as though God places his seal on you. And he says, you are mine. I think about uh, when I was a kid. Some of you guys probably did this. Maybe some of you didn't. Um, whenever you like wanted a special seat, you would call dibs, right? So you guys still do that? Is that a thing? Right. We, we would do that. It's like, or if there was like, let's say like the last Pop-Tarts in the box and you like really wanted them, you'd be like dibs on those Pop-Tarts, right? In, in, a, in a similar way, um, that's kind of like what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit says dibs on your life. He says, you belong to Jesus because you have been chosen by the Father and I'm going to take you to him. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He seals those that belong, that have been chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son. He says, you are God's. You are in the family now. And so, one of the obvious questions that would arise as you are uh, thinking about this idea that the Holy Spirit seals you, how do you know if you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit? Somebody, uh, somebody want to give me a couple ideas? What, what do you guys think? I've been doing a lot of talking. I'm going to give you guys a chance. Like fruit, too? Kind of okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay, what else? Any other ideas that pop into your head as you're thinking, uh, how do I know if, I've, if my life has been sealed by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, 
Fruit is a good answer. That's a really good answer. Another, another one that is a, a, good, a good way of testing whether or not you are in the faith, as the Apostle Paul says, is do you hate your sin? Do you hate your sin? Do you see your sin and do you hate it and do you want to depart from it? Do you want to leave it behind? Another one, a really, really important one, do you love Jesus? Seems pretty basic, but it's like, it's really easy to mouth the words, oh, of course I love Jesus. Do you? Do you feel it in your heart? Do you experience that, that love in your emotions? Because it's not enough to just give the mouth service. In fact, Jesus actually expressly condemns that with the Pharisees. He says that these people make claims as though they are, they're my people, but their hearts are far from me. Do you hate your sin and do you love Jesus? Because what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he produces a holy hatred of the sins that we struggle with and an ever-intensifying love for Christ. And so another application question that I want us to be asking as we're thinking about this idea that, okay, if we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and we recognize that our life belongs to God, then another thing that we should be asking is, have we given every part of our lives over to the Lord? Have we offered all of who we are, our uh, plans, hopes, uh, dreams, have we offered all of those things to God and said, God, do with me what you want because I am yours. You have chosen me. You've purchased me. You have sealed me. I belong to you. Or is there certain parts of your life that you're still holding on to and saying, I'm going to plan that part of it and not consulting God with that, that part of your life? Could be a career, your plans for your career. Could be your plans for a relationship. Could be friendships. Could be sexual purity. There's a lot of areas of our lives that we tend to uh, hold back from God. And a lot of times we're not even necessarily aware of it until we begin to think about it. But since you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, if you are truly trusting in and loving Jesus, your life is no longer your own. And so you need to begin to look at every element of your life and ask, have I fully given this over to Jesus? Have I really, really given him control of this? Or am I trying to hold on to it? And so I'll close with this. Like that show, The Fixer Upper, each person of the Trinity is involved in restoring your life. If you are a Christian, that work began before the foundation of the world, which I can't even comprehend. It was continued 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died to purchase you from your sins and it was continued and is continuing by the Holy Spirit 
the moment that he caused you to believe and even now as he causes you to continue to believe and to trust in Jesus. And this actually causes us to ask the question, haven't we all seen people who walk away? Haven't we all seen people who, uh, who leave Jesus behind? It makes us ask the question, why is that? And one of the big problems in our modern evangelical world that the book of Ephesians really confronts is that the modern evangelical church will say, just make a decision for Christ. And they don't focus on the work of God that actually restores people. They say, just make a profession of faith. But what they don't recognize is that profession of faith means absolutely nothing if that person has not been chosen by God, has not been purchased by Christ, and has not been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is the only work that will save, the work of the triune God. However, I say that, and that sounds intense, but I will say this. Uh, the author of Hebrews, when he was speaking to the, his, the people that he was writing to, he says, I feel confident of better things in your case, my dear friends. And I feel that way about you guys as well. I, I was just telling somebody recently about how awesome it is to be uh, a part of a youth group with so many kids that love Jesus and like want to honor him. Um, God has been very kind to Lindsay and I to let us be a part of your group. Um, so with that said, let's pray and we'll go into our groups. Um, Father, we come before you and we are grateful, Lord God, uh, for the fact that you restore us. God, we don't have to try and clean ourselves up. We don't have to try and, and uh, uh, become better people before you reach out and rescue us. Lord, you redeem us first and then you restore us. So Father, as we go into this time of, of studying and uh, asking questions and getting to know one another in these small groups, God, I just pray that you would bless our time together. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.